how many of you had set a New Year's resolution? Uh, just show of hands. Nobody. Okay, so a few people. A few people. That's interesting to me. Interesting. How, how many of you are not willing to say it because you already broke your New Year's <laughs> resolution? That's okay. It's all right. Hey, uh, here's the deal. I, I'll do a little research on this, and here's some stats about generations of people who are setting New Year's resolutions. It turns out that Gen Z, which, by the way, are like our teenagers and young adults, Wishing I could still be a part of that young adult kind of gender, but I'm not. So Gen Z's, 92% of Gen Z is setting a New Year's resolution. That's a lot. Well, my generation, the millennial generation, 88% of setting New Year's resolutions. Pretty good, right? Well, then if you keep getting just a little bit older, you get up to like the Gen Xers. These are in their kind of mid-40s up to 50s. And, and, and 78% of them are setting New Year's resolutions. Pretty good, right? Well, the numbers kind of start to trail off a little bit more. When we get to the boomers, the boomer generation is only maybe about 60%, you know, positive on setting New Year's resolutions. And then right between the greatest generation and the boomer generation is what we call the silent generation. And then it kind of drops off a little more and only 48% of them are setting New Year's resolutions. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, I mean, it could mean that uh, you know, maybe it's just the young people have enough energy to try to give it another go and sort of restart fresh, right? It also could mean that the older you get, maybe the more pessimistic you get or maybe the more realistic you get about change. I don't know. I mean, those are kind of negative ways to think about it, though. What, if there, what about a positive way? A positive way to think about these stats is like this. You know, if you think about it, at least one of every two of each generation, even 48% in the silent generation are setting in years, at least one of every two, most Americans love the idea of a new beginning. We love a fresh start. We love another chance, right? But you've also maybe heard this stat. It probably won't surprise you. Only between 5 and 8% of Americans actually accomplish their New Year's resolution. That's pretty low. Five, does that surprise anybody? Five to eight percent. That's why I didn't, you didn't raise your hand because it's only January 2nd and you already broke it. <laughs> That's pretty low. You see, we love new beginnings, but we need second chances. Here's the good news. When it comes to faith in Jesus Christ, you'll be encouraged by this. Jesus loves to give both new beginnings and second chances. He loves it. He loves it. And we're going to see both today. We're going to see one guy in the Bible by the name of Mark. And we're going to see how he experienced a new beginning and he experienced second chances also. Now Mark, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is the author of the Gospel of Mark, which uh, we're beginning this series on, studying Mark. And next week, Dr. Dykes is going to start with chapter 1, verse 1, studying Mark verse by verse. Today, we're just kind of looking at who Mark is and hopefully that'll show us a little bit better about who Jesus is. Now, you might know me um, as Geo. I, I think, you know, Greg for introducing me as Pastor Jeffrey. That seems a little formal. But, but, you know, a lot of you know me as Geo. That name was given to me, by the way, at the Moberly Junior High Retreat up at Lakeview Baptist Encampment. I was in seventh grade. This was decades ago. And so I was seventh grade. Uh, someone, one of my high school counselors looked at my name tag. He said, G-E-O-F-F-R-O. He's like... Geo, <laughs> and it just stuck, right? That's my name. Uh, but if you're from Waco and you knew me from my years of college and ministry there, uh, you would know me as Jeff. 
now, probably in Longview, you're probably thinking, that sounds weird. I've never heard that guy called Jeff before. And, well, I hadn't either until I got there. And I was like, okay, whatever. And most of you, though, have heard me called Jeffrey. And my mom and my wife still call me Jeffrey. They, don't, they refuse to call me anything else, okay? Except I do remember a couple times when I was a kid, and my mom called you Jeffrey Aaron. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you. Like parents kind of know how to use the middle name, you know, and it's the right time and place to use the middle name. You throw that one in there. Well, for different reasons, this guy Mark, who we know of having the gospel of Mark, actually has a few different names in the Bible. He goes by Mark, obviously, but he's also called John Mark uh, with both names, not because he's in trouble, just because that's how they know him. And then Occasionally, he's just called John, <laughs> but he's the same guy all the time, right? The same guy. Different John than the Gospel of John, by the way, but that's just one of the ways that he's referred to in the New Testament. But he's kind of a man of mystery. We don't know a whole lot about him, but it's interesting because while he has a gospel named after him, he was not one of Jesus' 12 disciples. So he didn't actually have eyewitness accounts of everything that Jesus did that he wrote about, but then even more mysterious than that is how he shows up in five other New Testament books. This guy, Mark, John Mark, he shows up in five other New Testament books outside of his own gospel. Pretty interesting. Uh, well, his gospel is not about him at all. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That's what I love Pastor David is most excited about is that this year, every week, studying the gospel of Mark is that we get Jesus every week. I'm pretty pumped about that. So his gospel is all about Jesus. He jumps right into the action from chapter 1, verse 1, and he doesn't take a breath for 16 chapters. I mean, it is action-packed, right? But there's the one small passage in the gospel of Mark that most people agree is Mark telling a very personal story about himself without actually using his name. And we're going to use this short passage as kind of a launch pad to learn more about Mark, but also, hopefully, ultimately, to learn more about Jesus. So, Mark chapter 14. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn there with me and just follow along as I read. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, the words are going to be on the screen. Those of you watching online, you can see the words on the screen. But, man, I'd encourage you to grab your Bible and open it up with us as we study God's Word today. Interesting couple of verses, but as I read, you can follow along silently. In verse 50 of Mark chapter 14, it says, Then they all deserted him and ran away. Now a certain young man, wearing nothing but a linen cloth, was following him. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. Now this is not like a wild ending to a raucous New Year's Eve party, okay? No, it sounds like that. No, it's actually kind of the woeful beginning of what would become the darkest day in history. Now, you and I call that very next day Good Friday because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. But here, at this juncture, Jesus had gone to the garden with his disciples. And, and what happens is the disciples, as Jesus came to be arrested, the disciples got out of there. They ran away. They were scared for their lives because of what was happening to Jesus. So they got out of there. And most people would say, hey, this has got to be Mark's own personal story because any eyewitnesses that would have been there were already gone. 
So who else would have told him? And if anyone else would have told him or could have told him, why would he write about it? Which is actually a fair question whether it was him or not. It's a fair, why would he write about this? It's interesting. It's a crazy couple of verses. Well, if it's Mark's story, it gives us a window in his li- into his life to, to first show us that man, Mark experienced a new beginning by becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. We see in the passage that he followed him into the garden, uh, or at least on the outskirts to kind of see what was going on, but we don't actually know when he came to faith. Mark uh, never gives us, and the Bible never shows us, Mark's testimony of placing his faith in Jesus Christ. It's just a story we don't get, but Jesus taught that you know a tree by its fruit, right? That if anyone is a true believer in Jesus, that it will be evidenced by a life given fully to Jesus and following him, being obedient to him and his will, right? There's evidence to it. So how can we know that Mark was transformed from a non-believer into a believer in Jesus by placing his faith? Well, let's look at his life. Let's kind of track it, okay, through the New Testament and see what happened to Mark. We know, starting off, that Mark's closest link to Jesus was probably his mother. Mark's mother was named Mary. Now, just for clarification, we're just coming off of Christmas. There's a lot of talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus. That's a different Mary. This is the Mary, the mother of Mark. And in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, the Bible talks about how Mary's house was kind of a gathering point in Jerusalem. It was probably a large house, had a big upper room. That may sound familiar to you who are reading your Bible regularly. And uh, Mary's house was kind of a central location. It was a gathering point for disciples and apostles. It was a regular kind of hub for the burgeoning church that was happening in Jerusalem and beyond. Well, uh, Mark grew up in that house. That was where he's from. That's like, that's his stomping grounds, you know, that's, that's his place. Well, what's also interesting to me, while we don't know for sure, the earliest church tradition actually teaches that Mary's house was the place that Jesus went and took his disciples for the Last Supper. So we're talking like the night of the Garden of Gethsemane, when this certain young man is caught in just a cloth and is attempted to be seized and gets away. It's happening right after just a few hours, Jesus coming into Jerusalem for the final time with his disciples says to Peter and John, hey, go into town ahead of us and you'll see a man carrying a jug of water. And when you see him, follow him. And when you get to his house, you'll, uh, you'll see, or it's a servant, maybe not a man, a servant, but you get to their house and talk to the owner of the house. Tell them the master sent you. And when you tell them the master sent you, they'll get everything ready for us to have the Passover meal. We know it's the Last Supper. What if that's Mark's house? Well, church tradition says it might be. So Mark could have been there. When Jesus took off his outer garment and and wrapped himself in a towel and knelt down and washed the disciples' feet. Like Mark could have been a bystander when Jesus was talking to his disciples about the fact that he would be betrayed by one of them. Mark may have been asleep in bed Stirred by the noise of Jesus and his disciples leaving in the middle of the night on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. 
He may have been stirred awake and gone, where are they going? What's happening? I need to go figure this out. Maybe he was saying something wrong. Do I need to go check on them? Maybe he was saying, uh, just curious, where is Jesus going? What's going to happen next in this whole saga? Maybe he was trying to positively identify the betrayer or maybe get in the betrayer's way and stop because we know as Jesus goes to the garden with now 11 disciples, Judas has gone on his own. Judas has gone to rally the people he would betray Jesus to, this group of Jewish leaders. So this group of Jewish leaders, they're coming in and they're entering the garden led by Judas and they're having this encounter where Jesus is being arrested by a mob of people. Now, it's pretty crazy. And it gets a little heated, right? Because Peter takes out his sword and ends up chopping the guy's ear off. Well, Jesus takes time to say, okay, this is not how this is going to go. Heals the guy's ear, still gets arrested. And all the while, there's a certain young man who's kind of lurking in the shadows. He's just kind of watching what's going on. And, And then what happens is, As the mob arrests Jesus, the disciples have fled, and then maybe somebody spots him and goes, hey, there's another one. Hey, there's another guy there. And the mob turns, and they look toward Mark, and they're trying to say, Mark, we're going to get this guy. And they go for him, and all he's wearing is a little cloth, just a makeshift covering, the only thing he could think to grab on his way out of the house in a hurry. And the mob goes after him, but he breaks free and runs away, leaving behind his cloth, wearing nothing but the clothes God gave him. Man, this is a wild story. So what application does this have for us here today? Well, honestly, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe just get dressed in the morning before you leave the house. Might be it. But it does point us to the bigger story of the Bible. Let me show you. Do you remember any other stories of the Bible where people are leaving a garden naked, having deserted the God who loves them. That's the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. You see, the first humans had given in the temptation. They, they had broken God's law. They had invited sin into the world and in fact cursed All of mankind with the burden of sin, the shame that came with sin, exposing us for who we really are and also separating us from God for eternity. But here's the cool thing that happened in Genesis chapter 3. As they're leaving the garden for the last time, forever separated from God, God gives them a gift of grace. You see, remember what happened? He clothes them with skins of an animal. So that means that God sacrificed an animal so that he could get the skins of that animal to give to Adam and Eve as a covering for their shame. That very morning, as Mark makes his wild escape and the sun comes up on the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is then well on his way to the cross where he would become the sacrifice of God for the sins of all mankind by his shed blood on the cross, providing a covering of forgiveness, covering anyone's shame and bringing them back into a relationship with God if they would receive it by faith. This is incredible news. 
Incredible news. Mark, he got a new beginning. Have you experienced that kind of new beginning with Jesus? We don't know when he got his new beginning, like we said. I mean, it may have been there in the garden. Could have been before when he met Jesus, maybe at his house. Could have been after. But we know, right, while Jesus said the tree's known by his fruit, that it's, there's evidence of faith. And the evidence, going just a few days beyond in the story, starts to build. Because after Jesus' death and resurrection we get into the story that the book of Acts shows us. The apostles, Acts of the Apostles. It's how the church was born and how the gospel spread. And we see that Mark was there right in the midst of all of that. Remember Acts chapter 12? Acts chapter 12 talked about how Mary's house was kind of the central hub, and Mark was around. He was there. Well, that, is that evidence of his salvation? I don't know, but he was present. But then he was probably even there the night that Peter, the apostle, who was kind of the leader of this whole movement, Peter was in jail for having preached the gospel, but an angel came and broke him out of jail and said, go to this house. There's a group of believers there praying for you. And he shows up to the house, knocks on the door, and the girl who answers the door is like, who is this? And she's, he says, it's Peter, it's me. And she's like, Peter who? <laughs> and he's like, it's me. And she's like, it's a ghost. And she goes and tells these people who are praying, and she's like, I think, I think Peter's here. And they're like, get him, bring him up. Like God provide. Like he was probably there. In fact, later in his life, Peter would call Mark his son. Not genetically, but spiritually, his son. In fact, while Peter is writing 1 Peter in chapter 5, verse 13, he's calling Mark his son. Mark is also at that time writing his own gospel. And so a lot of people think that as Mark was a disciple of Peter, He's had this transformation in his life at some point, become a follower of Christ, and now is living on mission. He's being discipled by Peter, that Peter is probably the one sharing the eyewitness accounts of what Jesus did so that Mark, guided by the Holy Spirit, could write them down in his gospel, which we are going to begin studying verse by verse next week. It's kind of cool how God puts all these things together, right? This is what happens with new beginnings and God at work. And there's another cool thing that happens when we learn about Mark. In the book of Acts, you see, he's got a cousin, a cousin named Barnabas. Colossians tells us that Barnabas and Mark are cousins. Now, Barnabas is like one of the first missionaries. Really, he's one of the first believers in Jesus in the book of Acts. Then becomes one of the first missionaries living his life on mission for Jesus. And he comes to Jerusalem from one of the other first churches in Antioch. And he comes with another missionary by the name of Paul, the Apostle Paul. And they're coming to Jerusalem to help the Jerusalem church. Well, he's cousins with Mark. I'm just imagining that probably they're going to go to Mark's mom's house, where the church is sort of based. It's kind of this hub, a gathering point for believers. And I'm guessing that, actually, because when they left to go back to Antioch, they took Mark with them. <laughs> they took Mark with them. Check this out. Mark left his home. He left his mother. He left his church family, all because Jesus had transformed his life and given him a new beginning 
a new mission. It didn't matter where Mark was before he met Jesus. All that mattered now was the calling of Jesus on his life. And what's so interesting about Mark is he's not a spotlight guy. He's a behind-the-scenes guy. Every time he shows up in the Bible, he's not a preacher. No, he's, he's a helper. He's just a supporter. He, he, he's like all of you who serve in our ministries volunteering. Like Mark is just, he's getting it done. This is so interesting. But he was willing, regardless of the position, he was willing to give his life to the mission of Jesus. Because that's what happens when Jesus gives us a new beginning. He gives us a new mission in life. And he calls us to be willing to leave everything behind to go and follow him. It's evidence of a new beginning in Mark's life. So think about your own story. Mark was living his new beginning. The evidence is there. Think about your life, your own story. Think about spiritually, would you probably describe yourself more of like a bystander to faith? Maybe someone who's just an onlooker, who, who's close enough, maybe in church even, but just like you know people who are sold out for Jesus, who would give Jesus everything, but you're like, I'm just not that person, you know? Like I'm not as gung-ho. I'm not as ready just to like go on a mission trip or take vacation from work or show up early to church or stay late. Like, you know, I'm just going to come. I'm going to kind of be around. I know those people, but it's just not quite me. Well, maybe if I may, are you the kind of person that's just kind of lurking in the shadows? Like just watching Jesus from a distance, maybe hoping not to be discovered for or exposed for who you really are? Or is your story like what eventually happened in Mark's life? Where he became a follower of Jesus. His life was transformed. Jesus, who loves to give new beginnings, gave him a new beginning, gave him a new mission in life. And Mark gave his all to Jesus. Evidence of a life following after Jesus. Which one describes you more? Jesus loves giving new beginnings. And there's nothing holding him back in 2022 from giving you a new beginning. I put in your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. But like a New Year's resolution, new beginnings don't mean everything's going to go perfect from then on. Like, like, we still make mistakes, right? Even Mark experienced second chances living on mission for Jesus Christ. I was thinking about this the other day because I was at my daughter's preschool in Marshall. And she was doing a Christmas performance, little preschoolers. It's just so funny, you know. And, and you go and you support them and just really sweet. But it's at uh, the Methodist Church downtown in Marshall. And they have this beautiful stained glass. And we're even commenting on the stained glass that day, But if you look at stained glass images of the gospel writers like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, even other New Testament characters, but them in particular, because of their link to the story of Jesus, the, the, the images in stained glass, always repre they're always represented like angelic figures. 
I mean, things like halos and just like great posture and, and these beautiful clothes and all these things. And it makes you think that these guys who wrote the Bible under the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit had something special and unique about them, that they didn't make mistakes. But that's not true at all. They, these guys were just normal people. Like Mark was just a regular guy used by God, but a regular guy making mistakes like coming up short. He needed second chances, just like you and me. They didn't always get it right. In fact, you know, here's a great example. The first missionary journey that Mark goes on with Barnabas and Paul. He Remember, he goes back to Antioch with them. Antioch, that church, sends them all out on this first great missionary journey. It was a tough one. Like physically tough, spiritually tough, emotionally tough. It was hard. Well, along the way, near a little town called Pamphylia, Mark says, I've had enough. And for a reason the Bible doesn't give us, Mark abandons the mission and goes back home to Jerusalem. Now, that's not something you would expect from a guy who has his name on a book of the Bible, right? Like you would expect him to be just right on all the time. But no, he left the mission field. He went back home. And while we don't know why he left, what we do know is that Paul was furious about it. So it had to not been like a great reason. Paul was furious. Listen to what happened in Acts chapter 15. If you got a Bible and you want to turn there with me, great. If not, hey, it's on me on the screen for you. In verse 36 of chapter 15, it says, After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. He's saying, hey, man, I'm ready to go. Let's go again. Let's go on another mission trip, right? Well, Barnabas says this. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. This is our friend Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take this man who deserted them in Pamphylia. And had not gone on with them to the work. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord. Now it looks like Mark really blew it with these missionaries. Right? Like he caused a rift between the first and maybe the greatest missionaries to ever live. I mean, Mark really blew it. But Barnabas, who, by the way, his name means son of encouragement. Barnabas gave him his first second chance. I mean, don't you know that when we make mistakes, missteps, the failures in our life, things go wrong... Like, we're kind of our own worst critics. We actually tend to keep ourselves down until someone else comes along and gives us a word of encouragement. It's like a football player who is playing defense, maybe a cornerback, if you can imagine a scenario, who's at the end of a game making just an incredible effort to stop a game-winning touchdown opportunity, and he's chasing down a receiver who's heading to the end zone. He's just all out, you know, going for the ankles, reaching for that last-second tackle, but he misses. He just wasn't quite good enough. 
And that receiver caught the ball. He's on into the end zone. The team wins the game. And that defender is just laid out on the turf in his own personal agony and defeat. And he just stays, doesn't he? You've seen this happen, I'm sure, where they just stay there for a little bit. And then what happens? One of his teammates comes along and reaches down a hand and says, come on, man, let's go. Just a word of encouragement, and he's up, right? Just an invitation to get back in the game, and he's up, and he's ready to go. I wonder how many people who are following Christ have just had a discouraging moment or some a setback maybe a mistake you made that's just set you back from your life on mission for Christ you know how many people if we would just give a word of encouragement or an invitation back into ministry could get plugged back in to what God is doing through our local churches I think it would cause a revival if we would just speak up for our brothers and sisters who may not be living their lives on mission because of whatever, mistakes or failures or setbacks or whatever. That's all it would take. Some of you, though, are looking at this passage in Acts and uh, this conflict between Paul and Barnabas, and you're going, see, I've been saying this. Look, it's right there ever since the beginning. The church can't get it together. They're always mad at each other. Someone's always having a conflict. These churches are splitting everywhere. I mean, why am I going to give my life to the mission of God through a local church when they can't even get their act together? And you're using it as proof to stay in on the outskirts, to lurking in the shadows. But look at what God does here. God, in his mercy and grace and acts, actually ends up with two mission teams, not just one. I mean, that's an, that's an incredible act of mercy and grace doesn't God always have a way of redeeming our messes? Yeah, we're not perfect, but God is going to accomplish his will. Wouldn't you want to be a part of it? And we can do that together. This is how it happened, though, and it's a little bit different maybe from our modern church splits that you might be familiar with. It's different in one unique way. It's that Paul and John Mark... They actually reconciled and started doing ministry together again. That's probably something our churches can learn from this. They made up. At some point, Paul probably was in the same room or maybe sent a letter to Mark and said, hey, I don't know why you deserted the mission, but you know what? I forgive you. There's something more important at stake. Let's keep going. Mark probably at some point received a letter or was in the room with Paul, and he's going, I don't know why you were so mad at me. I mean, this is what happened. But, hey, let's reconcile. Would you forgive me? Or I forgive you for what you said. You know, I mean, they probably had this moment where they made up and was proven. Philemon, this New Testament letter that Paul writes from prison, as he does the final greetings in verse 24, he says this about Mark. He says, Mark also sends you greetings as my co-laborer. That means they're together on mission again, right? They're restored. That while Paul is in prison, either Mark is there with him in prison or Mark is outside of it and he's regularly communicating with Paul again, helping Paul accomplish the mission, living for Jesus, spreading the gospel. This is cool. 
This is reconciliation. This is where the good stuff happens. Then even at the end of Paul's life on his deathbed, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes to Timothy, his spiritual son in the faith, and says, come see me, knowing it's almost the end. But you know what he says? He says, also, hey, bring Mark with you because Mark is so useful to the ministry. Wow. Reconciliation, second chances. Jesus loves second chances. And I can promise you the chance that Bart got from Barnabas, the second chance he got from Paul, it was only because of the remarkable power of Jesus in their lives. Jesus loves second chances. So let me ask you, do you need a second chance today, 2022, to get back involved in living a life of mission and ministry for Jesus Christ? Jesus loves to give second chances. I mean, people just extend, they they end up on these extended hiatuses from ministry and mission because of of whatever. Maybe it was a personal failure and you're just kind of like laid out on the turf and you don't know how to get up. Jesus is coming to you today going, hey, come on, let's go. Let's get back involved. There's grace for you. There's a place for you. There's a purpose for you. Would you get back in the game? Maybe it's something deeper. Maybe it's not a personal failure. Maybe it was a conflict you had in the church. And maybe you got crossways with another volunteer. Maybe you got burned out in the ministry position you were in. And maybe you got hurt by a church somewhere. And those things happen. Maybe it was grief that just took you out and just caused a setback. The invitation is for a second chance to get back in to the life of ministry and mission for Jesus. 2020 and 2021, man, these were the most difficult seasons in the life of the church because so many people were sidelined from ministry in the local church. And the message is, let's get back in. Let's get back in. Jesus is giving us a second chance. Here's the deal. I hope you have a story of new beginning with Jesus. If you do, it's a past tense story. I mean, even if it was just like in the last five minutes, it's still a past tense story. There was a time that you put your faith in Jesus for salvation. He forgave you of your sins and granted you eternal life. And you were set for eternity with this new beginning, right? It's a past tense story. But when you're living on mission for Jesus, you're not just looking for past tense stories. You're looking for present tense stories, right? And so the challenge is you kind of just self-evaluate this morning is what are your stories about living on mission for Jesus like? Are they past tense stories or are they present tense stories? Because if it's just like a memory of the past, like a mission trip you went on as a teenager or something God did in your life several years ago or that time you served in the nursery for a while or maybe the person you led to Christ before the pandemic, like if that's you and all your stories about living on mission for Jesus are past tense, it's time for a second chance. And Jesus is making it available to you right here and now. Mark's gospel is action-packed. Mark's story is kind of action-packed. And you know where his story of faith, the evidence of what God was doing in his life, the second chances, all those originated? is in the local church. So as God is stirring in your life and he might be tapping on your shoulder saying, hey, 2022 is the year that you say, okay, coach, get me back in the game. 
Jesus wants you to hear that's going to start right here from the local church. So get plugged in. Mark's gospel is action-packed. You're going to love the messages coming up. There are more miracles per page in Mark's gospel than any of the other three gospel accounts. And every miracle of Jesus was a new beginning or a second chance for the person who received it. Not to try harder, right? Because Jesus never said you were healed by effort. He always said it's your faith that healed you. So not to try harder, to do better this year, but to begin a relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ. It's a miracle that God can do in your life right here and now. Start a new beginning. The experience is grace for a second chance. Nate's going to come up and just lead us through a chorus. And I want to give you just a moment, a moment to respond to God. And so if you just bow your head and close your eyes. In this moment, I want you to think about one of two things. If you're one of those who has just been on the outskirts of faith, maybe you know people who live for Jesus, but it's just not you. Ask Jesus today to give you a new beginning, to forgive you of your sin, restore you to God in an eternal relationship that starts here and now. You can just say, God, I know I need forgiveness. God, I know that Jesus died on the cross for my salvation, and I believe in him. I want him to be the Lord of my life. I want everything about my life to be given back to Jesus because Jesus gave his life for me. And the Bible promises in Romans chapter 10 that if you would call on the name of the Lord in that way that you will be saved, rescued from your sin, given eternal life. Others of you just need that second chance to experience the grace of Jesus and, and just simple prayer God will show you his grace but then it's going to take a next step to live in it so as we respond maybe you need to grab that next card or the volunteer card that's right in front of you and just say okay I'm ready I'm ready God put me back in and you can do that as your response today